Hey, you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I'm Bruce. And I'm Chris. And today we've got our new series, Behind the Desk, where we plan on speaking with producers and engineers and anyone behind the glass who's worked on classic albums. And I can't think of a better person to kick off this series than Tom Werman. Um, he's He's been behind the desk on a million and one albums that I still listen to. This guy's production's changed my life from shout at the devil theater of pain we're not gonna take it girls 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 i mean the list goes on and on and on and on so without further ado let's just jump in and see what we got the brutally delicious podcast presents behind the desk What what are we going to talk about? Well, I wanted to talk to you about the making of Girls, Girls, Girls. Mm. Well, we could talk about it, but the you know the problem with with um, uh, talking about all these things that they happened thirty five years ago. Yeah, and it, and and there's not a whole lot of specific information that I that, you know that I can recall. Um, you know, there were there are general things. Um, for sure. But, uh, you know, if you would ask me a question like what, what guitar did Mick use on blah, 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 then there's no way. (laughs) Oh no, I'm more, I'm more interested in like, for instance, on the song wild side, whenever I listen to that song, I'm pretty sure that's not a real bass guitar on there. Oh, sure. It is. It is. Sure. It is. Oh, everything's real. Uh, everything except, you know, we used a couple of samples at the end yeah. Um, you know, in the in the city sounds part, um, where, where you know the gunshots and sirens and right. sidewalk noises and all that stuff. Um, we didn't use keyboard, uh, bass or anything like that. Well, that's Never. really interesting to me because you know the whole persona of the girls, girls, girls era was a band that was so, uh, to put it mildly, messed up from addiction. Yeah. That they could barely play, and that bass line is just so absolutely perfect. Yeah how how did you get that out of a guy that was so addicted to heroin like that? Well, he wasn't. Uh, I don't think at that. Well, he was actually still still like that. I really really uh, enjoyed enjoyed doing that song. I think it's really good. Uh, and I didn't like much else on that album. Really? You you mean the you yeah. mean the rapid? Yeah, the sixteenth. Yeah, notes. that is not Nikki. That is not Nikki. No, you know I don't remember, but it's good, isn't it? Oh, it's so it good. Really is. But it's so perfect. And I was just like, "There's no way that's a real bass." Like, how would they pull that off? I, I did something else. He he may have played with it, but that sounds like um, there is there's a guitar feel to that. Um, maybe maybe um, a guitar and a bass, but but you're right. It's um, it's very um, you know it's it's very even. It's very driving. Uh, that that's something I did a lot. Um, I like that um, you know the insistent um, kind of freight train thing on the bottom. Um, uh, I, I you know I honestly can't remember, but. By that time, Nicky was a, Nicky was a, a decent bass player. He wasn't at shout at, in shout at the devil, but yeah, um, that is good. Uh, you know, I never really, uh, I can't remember what I can't remember what we did. That's okay. I, I was just curious because when I heard, when I hear that, 
that line, it's so driving and it, it almost seems sequenced. But you said you weren't yeah. using keyboards at that time. Well, we may have we may have started we may have done that because it really does sound that good. But but you know um, the other thing is I was you know I could have we could have taken an hour to do that and right. maybe maybe we got um, ten good seconds and then looped it or figured out how to how to do that. That's uh, a possibility. That's the part he plays live. Like that, but it doesn't oh. sound anywhere near that good. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. Was it difficult, uh, not only with uh, just Motley Crue, but was it difficult pulling out, you know, these best performances with these guys that were so well known and so popular? Yes, it, yeah, it, it was. It was difficult. Uh, some are better than others, you know. Like Motley Crue was better, a little better than Cheap than Twisted Sister. Cheap Prick was really good. Ted Nugent was just fine. Right. Um, and he was very, very together. In fact, I mean, he knew all of the um, he knew all all of the other parts in his head um, before he came into the studio. I mean, you know, he he was a major musical director. But I, I would say Poison and Twisted Sister were challenging. Poison was uh, very, very um, willing, cooperative, and Twisted Sister was a little, a little harder to deal with. Interesting. Um, yeah, but but not not in, not necessarily in terms of attitude, but in in terms of knowledge and hard work, and you know, they, 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 Twisted Sister they didn't know too much. A couple of them didn't know that much about their equipment, right? Um, you know, we had to work. We had to work hard, and and you can hear that that th- their their whole musical presentation is pretty basic, right? But those were also the times when you had like unlimited studio time, right? And big studios and unlimited budgets or big budgets, big budgets, yes, yes. Yeah. And you yeah, can take the big... time to kind of drag it out of them, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it it took. Um, She's, you know, on Nothing But a Good Time by Poison, there is a guitar solo, and I think, you know, it was like half a day for 30 seconds. Wow. It, it, because, because you know, CeCe kept going back and pre-basing. Oh, God. Um, and, and it's, you know, and then he'd come back and, and, and he'd, he'd want to wipe it and start again. Um, but, but I did that digitally. It's the only album I recorded digitally because I knew there would be a huge number of punch-ins, you know, and, you know, corrections. And so I, you know, I'd just say, play along and I'll get you in and then I'll get you out. Um, and, 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 you know, there were so many times I pressed record and play, you know, I, uh, if it had been uh, anything but a, uh, a digital, we, we just couldn't have done it. We, it, 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 it would have, you know, it's seamless on digital, a, right. a, a splice uh, or an, an edit, uh, um, a punch in uh, on, on a, uh, analog. You, you sometimes it, it's, there's a little dropout or you can hear it. And right. it's, it's, it's much more, much more difficult. Um, was that on the, anyway. old, was that on the old Sony dash machines? Well, it was, it, I don't know what the machine, they were all uh, studers. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. But, but uh, it was the remote that made the difference. Oh, you know, gotcha. the, the the remote that you that the producer would use or the engineer would use, you know, on the little stand on wheels right yeah. by, the, <laughs> yeah. by, by the console, you know, and 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 it had really really sensitive touch, 
you know, um, uh, buttons. So, so if, you know, it, it was like a touch screen. If, if you wanted to play, uh, to go into record or play or rewind, you just, just literally put your, put your finger on it. it you know, with the analog guys, it was like a clunk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I, I guess you, your question was more about attitude focus, right? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Motley was <clears throat> pretty good when they got to the studio. Yeah, you know, I didn't have a bet. It, it was it was hard to get them to the studio, <laughs> right? But when but, but when they did get to the studio, they they would work when you asked them to. Uh, Vince especially was a real trooper because it, it was uh, he was the most difficult to 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 get a good performance out of because you know he just wasn't wasn't that great a singer. Right. Uh, I mean, he was a great front man. But 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 he wasn't that necessarily that great a vocalist, and he would stand in front of the mic for three hours, you know, working on one song. Oh and, wow! And we'd get uh, you know, one day we kept a line. That's it. We kept one wow. line. Wow. Was was Nikki pretty involved in the recording of the vocals, or did they just allow you to do that? Well, you know, in one of the books he he allegedly wrote. He said that I was a complete, you know, that I had nothing to do with it, and that he had produced, he produced all the, the, uh, the vocals or something like that, which is one hundred percent bullshit. And I, I, so I, you know, I was, I did all the vocals. I did them with all the vocalists all the time on all my records, and I did them in a in a way that really relieved the vocalist of having to stand there for a very, very long time. I made it easier for uh, as easy as possible for the vocalist to, to, to not have to repeat, 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 and repeat to keep it fresh for him. And I did right. it by, by combining tracks and by combining, you know, lines and words from three different tracks. And then I record two more tracks and I'd, make another comp from that. And then, and so I, you know, uh, in about five performances, I'd get a final track, vocal wow. track, and then I'd go in and then I'd go in for specific, um, corrections and uh, on that track alone. So, you know, you have the guy sing three different tracks or performances of the song. And then you say, go take a rest. And, 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 and you, you, you take 30 minutes to combine them all into one. Then you do two more and you do the same thing again. So by the time you've done six tracks, you're and taken the best from each of them and put them all together on one. You've got a pretty good vocal performance. Did this require you um, slaving two machines together for vocals? Because like six, no. tra six tracks is like a lot on analog. No, 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 no. Um, not a problem. No, you would, no, you would just do three tracks and then you'd combine them to one master track. Gotcha. Then you could use the net, you know, the same, you could use, if you put them on track one, two, and three, then you, then you'd go to, you'd, you'd go take a, um, bounce everything to track four and then you could use one, two, and three again. Gotcha. And you still had your master on track four. So you were, you were working like hell to pull those vocals. Well, it was very hard with him. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, there was Robin Zander, who was an 
absolute vocal genius. I mean, it was just laughing time when, when he got in front of the mic. He, you know, he, he, it had taken two or three performances to get a perfect track, and then he'd double it and, and, and perfectly, and then he'd harmonize, you know. Wow. I mean, it was, it was superb. And we'd do two or two, three songs in one afternoon. And that wow. made your life a whole lot easier. It was, oh God, it was great. But working with Cheap Trick was, was such a treat. Um, and you know, it, it was much easier than, than the others. That's, that's, that's all. What about drummers? Like when I see Motley Crue play live, Tommy Lee is a monster behind the kit. Oh, he is. He's, he's the second best drummer I, I, I ever worked with. I, I mean, he is a wonderful drummer. The only one I would put above him is Bunny Carlos because of what he played or what he didn't play. Oh, as you far know, as kid size? No, part, the part. Oh, gotcha. He, he, you know, he, he did as little as possible and he used <clears throat> his fills sparingly and efficiently. And he was just, a, he, you know, he was a very influential drummer. Uh, a, a lot of people, um, a lot of drummers that came after him, you know, I can hear stuff that he, stuff that we did in a lot of other drummers that, that came after him. That's interesting because um, he, fl- he flies below the radar on, on people's, you know, list of drummers. Oh, yeah, probably. I, I loved him. Um, and and, I, and he was he was perfect. He never made a mistake. You, you never great. said, oh, "Bunny, uh, we need a better drum track before we can put on the bass." They were they were great. They were awesome. the best. Uh, the, uh, the whole band was, you know, <laughs> heads above any other band that I ever worked with. That's great. Uh, in 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 terms of musicianship and performance, and uh, like we did Dream Police in thirty days, start to finish, which wow. for that to- for that time was was amazing yeah um and that means mixed done mastered go wow so, so yeah so so it, 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 that, that was good that's a good that's a good album too that's oh a it's a great album those those are the best um you know i think heaven tonight and uh dream police are the two best productions that i uh, that i ever uh did um then there are some that I think could have been better, but but um, I thought those were great. I was pretty, you know, kind of disappointed that Cheap Trick wasn't bigger, period, than than, than they were. And I, I thought they should have been a huge band, not um, you know a, a a pretty big band. Right. I I watched their live show on Access TV. They they play concerts on Saturdays or whatever. And they played a live show, and they were so freaking good. It was unbelievable. It is, and it's you know it's much harder. Look, I'm a pop guy. I you know um, the 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 one common complaint, if there was a complaint, um, you know, from the band about about the record, which they all, you know, I mean, they all loved, and they all and, and the records sold, and they all got you know platinum records and sure. But 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 twenty years later they, they bitch and moan, and and what they say is oh was, you know just it wasn't us it wasn't hard enough it was too pop it was too too smooth it was too perfect, and and you know that's you know I'll admit to that it's who I am. The reason that many of these 
bands made it was because I took all the pop elements from the songs and featured them in, instead of just letting them blast away. I mean, you know, Twisted Sister, D. Snyder famously talks shit about me. In his book, he said, I, I destroyed their record, which has sold about 8 million copies. <laughs> and he said, I, I destroyed it. And this record honestly delivered their lives to them. I mean, oh yeah, absolutely. This record just goes on and on. It, you know, it's 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 a very big seller. It's a very big seller, and streamer. Um, it still does very well, and it made the a, a very rich man. And and he he for some reason he just he just can't deal with with my involvement um he was extremely nice right up till the uh till the record was over and then he just like wouldn't talk to me and I, I was like scratching my head what what's what happened here but but anyway um you know i get distracted when i start talking about that he said um, he, he, he re-recorded the whole album just to prove a point. You know, he said, this is how Twisted Sister should sound. And it sold, it was released. It was, it was released after Stay Hungry. And, and it was called, I don't know, something like it, a little play on the words of, of Stay Hungry. Um, you know, regardless of what it was, it sold about 25,000 copies. Right. And, and, and instead of, uh, you know, the, and we're not going to take it as a, you know, it's like an iconic nursery rhyme song. Yeah. But, you know, he got really pissed because I, I had, I, I said it was kind of basic, you know, and <laughs> I wasn't really, I didn't really want to, to have it on the album. He said, I wouldn't let them record it. No producer has that kind of power. Right. Say so you can't record that. They hire me for God's sake. Right. They're you know, paying they your can, bill. They, yeah. They can fire me. It's, it's, and in the I, end, anyway, in the end, I'm thinking they hired you anyway because of your track record of creating that sort of, I mean, the records speak for themselves and they created that whole sort of genre of music, I think, almost. That whole, well, like, eight, so, I mean, I think that's why they would hire you anyway, right? Well, yeah, uh, they, they were they were uh, kind of pushed to hire me by uh, Atlantic. Atlantic, right. Um, you know, and I think he really resented that because he was the, you know, he was definitely, I am the boss. So, right. You know, ah. he, was, he was really tough. The thing that I started to do when I was still at Epic Records and I started producing by by going into the studio with, with Nugent. By the way, we didn't discuss politics. Uh, <laughs> That's <and> good. <laughs> really, it's, it, it's, it's dreadful what happened to Ted in, in that department. But, hey, we, had, we, we actually had fun. It's very difficult for me to justify to my friends that I still talk to him. Right. You know, they're... They're aghast, but but I I have to say, listen, we guys, we you know, I had a very good relationship with Ted, very productive and and very enjoyable for many years, and and I had no idea that he was a fascist. You know. Anyway, what 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 I would do w was take bands that in those days, you know, it was just AM and FM. AM was was the hits, and FM was the album play. And and if if a band that I signed, if I wanted to sell a lot of records, 
you just had to have a hit single. You know, if you got a lot of FM play, you'd sell a few hundred thousand albums, and that was good. But if you had a hit single, you could sell a million albums, and, and that was much better. So I saw my job as making hits. And, 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 and you getting, did. Yeah, I did. And, and, and at least I'd, you know, I'd get them on the radio, and they would have the attention of, of, of the, the music li- uh, b- buyers. And then after they had a, a hit or two, they could kind of do what they wanted. You know, mm-hmm. they could they could be as self indulgent as they wanted. So so I, I I made hits, and that's why I I, I resorted to uh, you know several um, power ballads. That's how I I, I got a lot of um, bands on the on the radio that that wouldn't probably have been on the radio. Yeah, that was the year so, of that was the uh, decade of power home. ballads. And you are the father of probably the biggest power ballad of all time. Which is Home Sweet Home. Your Home Sweet Home. Well, I think Dream On is the biggest. Well, Dream On is bigger. Okay, okay, okay. But Home Sweet Home (laughs) still holds the record for the longest number one song on MTV. Wow, really? Yeah. I did not know. I didn't know that. That's great. They actually had to retire it. They had to retire it. Did you see the MTV documentary? I didn't know. It's called I Want My MTV. It's it's. It's good. It's good. I mean, it's interesting if you, you know, we, I don't know if you guys were around at that time. Yeah, I grew up in that time. So that was my heyday. And when I, we were talk, getting ready to talk to you, I was looking at your discography. I was like, shit, these are like the records of my, you know, my life. Right, right. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It really is. I, I, I like that, that people, you know, live their, their lives to my, some of my, my songs. I mean, all of it. Yeah. I mean, Really, it's just a, a list of who's who, and it's phenomenal. So that's great. You've had a great career. Yeah. I, I, it was fun. It was fun, and it, and it was good. And it, la- it, it, you know, when it ended, it was really um, I agreed kind of with the musical change that that it was time to to go. It was time mm-hmm. to get out because I I had already done over fifty albums, and and I was burned. Yeah, and and also when the kind of music that I did went out of style, it really went out of style and it, yeah, and it went from cool. It went from cool to embarrassing in about, you know, five years, Yeah, you know, pretty quickly, right around 19, between 85 and 90, you know, with the BC boys and Nirvana, um, you know, I could see the writing on the wall. So it, it did take me 10 more years to, to get out but it was over and you know now you look back and and rock and roll the era of rock and roll is over it 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 was a period yeah and 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 i think it ended you know right around the turn of the century Um, yeah if not yeah i think so right around there maybe if not before it was definitely heading out middle of the 90s probably Right, and it started, I think, in in with Elvis. It started in you know, or or Bill Haley, I, you know, around 1954. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was nine years old then, and and I I had just it was perfect timing, just perfect, <laughs> you know. Yep. And I I started listening to the radio, and I just absorbed completely everything that I heard, and. You know, then the 60s and 70s were just incredible in terms of creativity and and, and, and new innovation and new music. 
Right. And then, um, you know, then we had, you know, um, glam and metal. Yep. Uh, and, and, and then it was, it was over. And, and one of the reasons that, uh, one of the things that kind of forced me out was that, um, like take a Seattle band, like, you know, you know, Soundgarden or Pearl Jam or one of those bands that, that came from Seattle or was, had that kind of Seattle vibe. If they had worked with a producer who had worked with Motley Crue, they simply would have lost all their street credibility. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because it was it, it was like an embarrassment. It was like, oh, come on, those guys. It was absolutely the you know the antithesis of of Poison or Motley Crue or Rat or mm-hmm. whatever Winger. You know all that whole that whole time. So. So I was not, I was definitely not only not in demand, I was like a must to avoid because that was, I was associated with that. And I never really wanted to be associated with that. I, I, I wanted to do the Eagles. I, I like, I liked, uh, you know, uh, pop country, not country music, but the, I, 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 I like pop music, hard, power pop, like Cheap Trick. Right. I was I was just much better at that. What was it like working with Ricky Rocket as a drummer? Oh, he was great. He was really good. He said, "I know I'm not the best drummer in the world, but you know, I I'll work at it." And he really worked at it. He was very good, very focused, a good guy and gave it his best. Really did. And you know, at, at one point during rehearsal, he had a real tough time with with a specific fill in the middle of a song and it was kind of a necessary fill and he had so much trouble with it that I called I knew Bunny was in town and I called Bunny and I said could you come down to the rehearsal and work with Ricky because um, he needs he just needs to get over this hump and Bunny did and he and he helped him and he fixed it all up and it was that's it was great great unbelievable but, but he yeah, but but he was um he he was a very good good guy. Drummers generally in every band were the the best guys. They they were the most agreeable, the most focused um you know, and the least the least difficult. That's interesting. So yeah. They, they they were good, um, you know. The some of the others weren't, you know, <laughs> weren't weren't that weren't that great. Um, but generally, the, you know, I I don't know. We I had a very good time. That's and I want to thank you for again for all of the uh, the records that I still listen to. You know, I mean, there's tons of music out there, but I still go. Those are some of my go to records over and over and over great. again. They're amazing. Yeah, well, thank you so thank much you. for introducing to, to music in general. Oftentimes when I listen to Mick Mars, I think he might be one of the most underrated guitar players of that era. Would I be wrong in thinking that? Nope, not at all. I've said that a, a lot of times. Uh, Mick was great. Um, he was always prepared. He had, um, you know, he, he had a lot of his stuff written. The only thing that I contributed to, to you know, guitar-wise, to Motley Crue records was fills. So you know, you get to the end of a verse, you go into the chorus or what, whatever. Any transitional fill, you know, I would work with with Mick. 
uh, on that. He, you know, he'd be playing in the control room and we'd, we'd just, we'd work on, on a fill and, and I'd say, well, we'll try this and try that and try that. And, and he was extremely cooperative, really good guy, Mick, uh, you know, he's been unhealthy for a long time. Uh, I don't know how he's doing now, but he was, he was definitely, um, the guy I related most easily to in that band. That's interesting. Um, you know, maybe because he was, uh, he was older than the others. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure how they all, they all call me pops. <laughs> <laughs> but his, his tone is so unique and his solos are so unique. Yeah. You know, he's not a speed demon. Yeah. He's not, but he's melodic and the, his tone is full yeah. and, and it's not something like, you can't say, oh, it's the guitar and the amp because it, it goes across every record he's ever done. He has this, this sound. Well, I think there was, there was a definite improvement between Shout and Girls. Um, you know, I, I, I like the, uh, the guitar sound on um, Girls, Girls, Girls itself, the, the, the song. And on wild and on wild side, he yeah. and he had you know I I have to say that one of the reasons uh, for that was was his guitar tech. He he just had a, a very good guitar tech by that time, and and um, you know in shout the that's that's the the Motley Crue fans' favorite album uh, of the three that I did. For me, it was a little muddy, you know, and apparently that's what that's what people liked. You know, and and there was a clarity and a, and, a, and a brightness to um, to put to the girls' guitar sound. Tom, I want to thank you for answering my email. It was hard to track you down, but thank you for doing it. This is in a new series of we're going to try and speak with producers and engineers that worked on you know classic records and we're trying something different. So I appreciate you taking the time. Sure, it was a lot and of fun. And thank you for contributing to the music that made my life. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. My, yeah. my pleasure. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.